Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna. This is News Talk. Yes, you can email the show alive and kicking at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire's Lair. Coming up this morning, Jason Byrne is probably best known as high energy comedian. But more recently, after finding himself burnt out after years of gigging, he turned to therapy, among other things, and now wants to spread the message of the importance of minding your loaf. He does this through his podcast of the same name, where he looks to introduce people to expert advice without the hefty price tag or the long wait list. I'll also be joined by Professor Kathleen Neenan to discuss the importance of awareness and recognition of spirituality in healthcare. So what kind of a health and wellness week did I have? Well, it was good. I was covering on one of the midweek shows here on News Talk this week. And as it was one I hadn't done before, it seemed to take a lot of my brain power. And often when work revs up like that, I start to turn down in other areas. So I won't kill myself trying to get to a workout class or doing anything online. I'm not sure this is the best option. I probably would have been more energised if I did. But sometimes I just think you have to accept that you can't do it all. I also interviewed a documentary maker, so stayed up late for two nights in a row watching TV. And it was on a murder case. So it was quite harrowing and I'm not sure how people do that on the regular. I found it seriously draining. I don't like to watch dark stuff, horror, either in fiction or in real life, even though I know that true crime is one of the most watched, read about topics worldwide. I just find it's too tense. I mean, there was one point we were watching Homeland, Love, Hate, Both brilliant series, but I found my whole body was contorted for the entire watching. These days, I'm more about light entertainment or complete trash. I think it's better for my health and wellness. I also went for a rather intense physio session this week. Um, I have found, and I've caught myself doing it, and I'm going to stop doing it from here on in, that I start to give up on my, my body a little bit. So I've been getting a twinge under my knee and I'm like, oh, that's it. It's the beginning of the end. This is what will lead to my knee replacement. I'm only in my early 40s. Any kind of mood change, I'm like, this is it. It's the menopause. It's here. And that's not necessarily the case. I'm probably just in a bad mood. But back to the physio. I always forget in all my health and wellness endeavours about the importance of rest and rehabilitation for your muscles. So we're all about strengthening them and stretching them. But we forget about minding them. So that's why we're supposed to go for more sports massages. So basically what she told me was the more tight your muscle is, the more it'll pull in the wrong areas. And that's why you need to mind it. So after she tortured me for 45 minutes, she suggested I get myself a massage gun. So I will keep you posted on that. Apart from that, everything is great. You can email the show aliveandkicking at newstalk.com. Academics are calling for an increased spiritual awareness and recognition of spirituality as a standard for good healthcare practice. A conference took place earlier this month to discuss and make recommendations around holistic, person-centred care, which at times will include a recognition of their spiritual beliefs. Professor Kathleen Neenan is chair of the SRIG group at the School of Nursing and Midwifery at Trinity College in Dublin. And she joins me in studio now. Hello, Kathleen. How are you? Good morning. Kathleen, can we start with the definition of what spiritual care is, as you see it, to give people an understanding? Um, Well, spiritual care, it's actually very difficult to define it. And there's been lots of... Um, different groups um, 
coming with definitions, but the most common one that's adopted is by the European Association of Palliative Care. And that's, it looks at spirituality as a dynamic dimension of human life that relates to the way persons or individuals and communities experience, express, and or seek meaning, purpose, and transcendence uh, in life. So that sounds a bit of a mouthful, but really it is connecting into another human being at a very deep level and allowing them express where they're at and what allows them to find meaning in their life and purpose in their life. And it really comes to the fore in times of crisis, um, the whole area of the spiritual dimension. So often at the beginning of life, uh, end of life, when people experience or are given bad news. Um, and we really, it's been very much to the fore in the last um, 13 months with the COVID-19 pandemic. And spirituality has really came to the fore and kind of raised awareness of that whole area of meaning and value and purpose in life. Because you're right, in a medical setting, you're often with people at their most vulnerable, um, in the middle of trauma, in the middle of great life change, certainly with, with midwifery. So spirituality would have a place for some people in helping them navigate that. Yes, and that's um, I'm part of a group, um, Spirituality um, Research and Interest Group in Trinity College. And we formed that group in 2013. Professor Timmons led the way. And I'm currently chair of that group where we want to bring this whole area of spirituality to the fore and have it as centre stage in delivering care. And I'm an academic, so I work in education and to deliver that to educate nurses and midwives. But we want to broaden it out, not just in nursing and midwifery, but in all healthcare professions. And I'm part of a group um, called EPIC. It's a group that was set up by Professor Wilf McSharry and Linda Ross and six key strategic partners in Europe. And they involved us from Trinity College as the Irish contingent in the group. And they have looked at innovative ways of developing and nurturing our future generations of nurses and midwives through innovation, education and compassionate care. And that has accumulated in... um, publishing lots of uh, academic papers and competencies. How, what do we want nurses and midwives? What competence do we want them when they're delivering spiritual care? And it's actually been, it's not just confined to nurses and that we accumulated in 2019 and that was launched in Wales, um, not last year, the year before. And teachers have uh, embraced it in Malawi uh, So it's not just for nurses and midwives. So our aim would be to branch this out into wider society and move it as an important topic, issue, um, being that whole, being human and cultivating compassion when we're delivering care. And as nurses and midwives, we're with the patients 24 hours a day or our students are with them. But I think to the fore in the COVID pandemic, it has really been tested delivering that whole aspect of holistic care because uh, patients have been on their own due to restrictions, uh, haven't been allowed visitors. And that huge dimension of the family support hasn't been available to the patients to find meaning when they're experiencing bad news or maybe approaching the end of life. And nurses and midwives uh, and other care healthcare professions have been present with these patients when they uh, 
approach death at the end of their life. And this has been very traumatic for many nurses. And we are hearing reports of post-traumatic stress um, in healthcare professionals because they've witnessed a huge amount of patients dying and they maybe come on a shift and they may have several patients that die quite quickly. So nurses and midwife also haven't had access to what gives them uh, sustenance or what lifts their spirits during the pandemic. They may have had to live away from home to protect their elderly parents or if they have somebody who is vulnerable or have a chronic illness. So the whole gamouche of the pandemic has really brought this area of spiritual care to the fore. For example, what gives me sustenance, what gives you sustenance, maybe it might be poetry, maybe music, maybe art, maybe travel, exercise, and all of those has been curtailed. So I think coming out the other end of this, as hopefully we're approaching, we will see a lot of uh, issues both with staff and with families and with relatives of where they have really been tested uh, to the core in this deep meaning in life during the pandemic. And this is an area that really fascinates me because I think we're going through a big cultural shift, particularly here in Ireland, where we're stepping away from organised religion in many ways. But spirituality is different for different people. It can be religious, it can be otherwise. And I suppose what you're focusing on is person-centred care, that everyone is different. But how will this work in a medical setting? Obviously, it's often a a high-pressure environment. Is there time to include spiritual practice over immediate health care? How is this going to work on a practical level? Oh, that's really interesting you should ask me that because that was part of the work that we completed in this EPIC group was, you know, nurses and all healthcare professions don't have time. So one of the two areas, um, there, there were several dimensions, but one of them in particular were how do you assess somebody's spiritual need? And they synopsized it initially was kind of 12 points and then uh, whittled it down to two questions that you can ask kind of on the go. And they call it the 2Q SAM. And one of them is, um, what do you need right now? And how can I help you? So you can incorporate, that's a synopsized spiritual assessment. What's important to you right now? And that's dynamic and changing because everything changes. So in the healthcare environment, it's a rapid uh, changing environment. So what's important to you can be very different. We'll say if you present to the ED department or if you're in about to be transferred maybe to the ICU um, uh, intensive care unit or wherever you are in the care trajectory. So those two questions can be incorporated into the conversation. It's quite quickly, it's quite short, and it can be a way of recognising, and you as the healthcare profession, whatever profession that is, recognising that need and being with the patient there and journeying with the patient with whatever it is important for them right now. But that also can pose pressure on the staff Uh, And it comes at a personal cost for uh, this emotional giving in being present with people when they have received bad news or when they're really in difficulty or at their most vulnerable. So we're part of the project also is and in our education and our undergraduate students and postgraduate is the whole area of self-care and taking care of yourself. So um, I've trained, I'm a mindfulness teacher and a mindfulness self-compassion teacher. 
So I impart those skills in my teaching to um, nurses and midwives and healthcare professions that I teach because it's important that they have a toolkit themselves to draw on when things are difficult. And yes, of course, they may need additional help. But those type of skills, if you can empower individuals, and it's not only in healthcare professions, I think in life in general, um, equipping people with skills to recognise, you know, I need to do something here, I need to become more aware, um, recognise, you know, what's, you can ask those two questions of yourself. What do I need right now and what do I need to do to help myself? So it might be stepping back. It might be um, incorporating maybe a box breathing, you know, breathe in, breathe out. Uh, and it might be before you can do it in the bathroom, before you go into a patient or go into a classroom or wherever it is. Um, so incorporating those into your own uh, care package. What about the the medical setting then? When you think of a, a spiritual setup, whether it's religious or otherwise, there's often dim lighting, candles, incense of one form or another. And then you look at the medical setting, it's quite bright, it's quite harsh. I imagine when most people are asked by a nurse, what do you want now? You think, kind of go beyond a cup of tea? Can you ask for those sort of things? Like a, a candle to be lit, soft music... Um, yes, you most certainly can. And the um, Palliative Care and the Irish Hospice Foundation have published and have done a lot of work here in Ireland in um, making the end of life experience more amenable to the difficulty both the patient or the families are experiencing. So things like having the environment, dimming the lights, having um, a single room, having a items that's of significance to the patients, whether it be religious or not. Um, Yes, you can ask for those. I guess it's not always possible to provide it. And in the times of pandemic, it may not have been possible to provide it. But the aim is that it would you would try your best to provide those things for patients and their relatives that they are requesting. And you're looking to start this conversation. I mean, what a hospital looks like now with more conversations like this, it could look very different in 10 years time, 20 years time perhaps even sooner. You were joined by guests at this conference from across the world. So is there anything we can learn from our neighbours? Yes, we can. And we had we were very uh, delighted that 300 people registered for our conference. We had people from Australia, New Zealand, United States, the UK, right across Europe. Um, we had speakers from Malta, Norway, Scotland, Wales, the UK. And here in Ireland, we had an Irish speaker. Yes, we have lots to learn. It's about taking it um, centre stage in our uh, education, in our preparing our nurses and our midwives and all healthcare professions. And right in across, you know, our teachers, right across the professions. Uh, Also, uh, the whole area of research. We can do more research. It's in its infancy here in Ireland. We have conducted um, some research, our group, looking at nurses, openness to delivering spiritual care and Professor Temmins led that piece of research. We've published a book on spirituality and healthcare and many of the spirituality research interest group have published chapters on it so we can get the word out there. Uh, My chapter was being human, cultivating mindfulness and compassion because bringing that humanity to that holistic care. Uh, and also bringing it out into clinical practice. So what we have to do ahead is try and get it into policy, into curriculum, 
and spread the word and get funding for research to keep this uh, area to the fore. Because often what patients report back and families is it's how they were made feel, not maybe what was done or what procedures were carried out, but that whole holistic element of care. And sometimes um, we can get stuck on that whole area of the religious versus the spirituality. Religion is always spiritual, um, but you do not need to be religious to be spiritual. Uh, What about medical staff then? Um, Is enough being done for their wellness and their self-care? I mean, the corporate world is really starting to embrace wellness for their employees as a way of investing in their own future and for a good workforce. Is that happening in the in the medical scene? It's starting. And actually, I'm um, a PI in a research study of evaluating a mindfulness-based stress reduction in a large acute hospital that they are providing to all staff, not just medical staff. So it's administrative staff, support staff. And um, early findings are that it is of value. And in um, the acute hospitals that I'm aware of, um, a lot of management are bringing the whole area of wellness to the fore. Yes, they are doing some, are delivering packages, have wellness at its fore, but there's always more to do because our nurses and midwives are at the coalface 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So it's ongoing. So we can't let down um, our guard. Certainly not. It's very exciting uh, research that you're involved in. Will you keep in touch with us and keep pushing forward? Because quite often people say, what is health and wellness? And what you are doing is exactly it. Professor Kathleen Neenan, chair of the SRIG group at the School of Nursing and Midwifery at Trinity College in Dublin. Thank you very much for coming in. Thank you for having us. Coming up after the break, comedian Jason Byrne on the importance of minding your loaf. Alive and Kicking on News Talk. You're welcome back to Alive and Kicking. Jason Byrne is probably best known as high energy comedian. Um, more recently, though, after finding himself burnt out after years of gigging, he turned to therapy, among other things, and now wants to spread the message of the importance of minding your loaf. He does this through his podcast of the same name. And he's also presenting a live stream event for Mind Your Loaf on the 3rd of July. And he joins me in studio now to tell me all about it. Hello, Jason. Hi, Claire. Thanks a million. So tell us a little bit about you and your podcast. Why did Mm. you want to do something to help people mind their loaves? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, the the podcast was kind of a, a... like a kind of a well-being, you know, approach to, to life. And I was thinking of trying to start going back to university or college, whatever you want to call it, to go and study psychotherapy or something like that. Because I was getting my, and this is before the pandemic, because my gigging was just getting so intense. I was doing so much gigging. And because, I, whatever, I'm nearly 50 now, my my whole body, my brain was going, yeah, fancy slowing down a bit now. And the mental health thing was always something I was interested in. And so a friend of mine, he said, well, look, I wouldn't go back to college. I would mix your mix your stand-up in with your mental health and maybe start up a podcast and learn about it that way. So I just started basically schooling myself in that area. So I brought in loads of experts, like neuroscientists, psychotherapists, professors, everything all, all over the world into the, this, this podcast. And you can listen to that podcast on iTunes and Spotify. It's just called Mind Your Loaf. And it has loads of different areas that, people, that can help people. So then I thought... Okay, so now the pandemic hits and all my gigs go. And then I'm, I'm starting to think, oh my, so I have no income now for like over a year and whatever. 
And I'm thinking, oh my God, it says if I'm struggling to pay for therapy, then the, like imagine the people who like who just can't afford it at all. Like you know, the most people with very very low income, because therapy can be from sometimes eighty to hundred quid, and then the rest of us, the other people, are on waiting lists. You know, so I thought, okay, let's just put together a festival with all these experts, and then people can just access it online, and and that's what I did. And how would your mental health have been during your busiest times? Because you were mm. living out of a suitcase all the time, weren't you? Edinburgh, Sydney, yeah. you know, just never really. Like your home is so important, isn't it? And just being able to to chill out. And you I'm know. very Irish that way. Like, you know what I mean? Like even when I, even before the pandemic, I'd always staycation, always. I go to Clare all the time. I would just go out there because I've already seen Australia and, you know, Antwerp and Indonesia. I've been, I'm actually and do you truly there. get to see them when you're gigging there? The actual countries, or well, do you just see the hotel room? Well, the, the British one is, is pr- British one's pretty tough because that's it. That's a different place every night. Australia is lovely because I spend about two to three weeks in Melbourne and then I go on to Perth for a week. So that's I get to see a lot of that country. And then, um, and then other yeah, like if I go to Germany or do anything, I'm only going there for one or two days, or and Finland for like three or four days. So no, I'm not really seeing a lot. It's not like a holiday. You know what I mean? So it is like go, go, move, go, move. And then I'm also going into different countries and different cultures. So the whole Irish thing goes out the window. Do you know what I mean? Because they don't know what you're talking about in Australia if you're talking about Grafton Street or like whatever. And then I have to, so I basically do comedy that suits their countries. So to keep changing it. And is your stand-up a way of therapy for you? Because Mm. you literally, not only do you observe what's going on with other people and make us laugh about that, but you talk a lot about your own personal life and, and yeah. what's happening with you so when you're writing that is that helping you process it I mean you're like a it's like journaling it can be like yeah it's like oh yeah it's like open journaling because <laughs> when you journal you just sit in your own don't you and read it back and go oh so so yes um, all comedians t- unless you're something like Jimmy Carr who writes one liners all the time do you know what I mean but if you're a storyteller um, you know a lot of times we'll change with it'll go the way our life is going do you know what I mean it's exactly what you said so, you know, if I'm going through like a hard time, I'll tell the audience and all that and I'll make fun of it. Like my dad passing away, you know, he did, a, a, you know, I'll, I'll end up doing a lot of stuff on that because he passed away and the pandemic kicked in. But before that, uh, I used to use my dad quite a lot um, with stuff that he would tell me and then stuff with my mom, you know what I mean? And my kids and yeah, and whatever's happening is what I talk about. Because yeah. I always think of John Bishop talking mm. about the breakup of his marriage and then yeah. his wife came to one, his ex-wife, and they yeah. got back together. Yeah, no, what John was doing, he was doing, yeah, no, he was, yeah, this is way back though. He was only starting out as a comic and he didn't tell anybody he was doing comedy and he did a gig in a comedy club and his ex-wife was at the gig and she went up to him after and went, yeah, that's the John I like, he's better crack, can we have him? And so they got back, yeah. But um, yeah, so I, yeah, and I went I went through a divorce and all, so I, but unfortunately we didn't get back. Because I do fine. sometimes think about that. I, 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 I must have seen you at one point in stand-up and, mm. You were talking about your wife saying, will you stop breathing on me? Oh, the way yeah, yeah. we do, you know? And little things like that. You wonder, as the as the missus, do you sit there going, what the hell are you telling everyone that for? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they used to go like that. Oh my God, does she know you're saying that? But again, of course, we, we have to exaggerate the story. Do you know what I mean? I can't just say, oh, I got into bed with my, my missus and she said, oh, you wouldn't just turn the other way because you're kind of breathing on me. It's just not funny. It is. Yeah, it's, no, no, it's not like it's not. You're not. It's not like performed. So we have to like when afterwards, my mum, because I taught my mum like chasing me around with a slipper, and she came to Vicker Street and she seen me. And then afterwards, she was standing in the dressing room and she, and she went. She was like looking a bit disgusted. 
And she went, I never hit my children. Ever. <laughs> With a slipper. I don't know where you got that from. And it's gone, well, ma'am, I'm kind of exaggerating. You know what I mean? She goes, I never laid a hand to my children. <laughs> Which is absolute rubbish. She used to chase her at all time. And would you feel like you'd process stuff then as you mm. move through it on stage? Yeah, exactly. And and the whole the, the your brain has been overused a lot. Do you know what I mean when you're when you're doing so when you do you're on your own as a stand up. Do you know what I mean? You don't have, you're not in the band. You can't look to the bass player and go, look, will you do, I'm not you do the talking tonight. I'm not I'm not into it. Do you know what I mean? You're on your own and every gig has to be as good as the last one. And the material, you know, it has to be like, it all has to be written. And people, so a really good comedian looks like they're making it up. That's how it is. You know what I mean? They'll just go, oh my God, he must be having great crack up there. But he's trying to remember this and remember that and which order it goes in and what's going on and when the laughter and the time. And, and every every stage you put your foot on is different. Every single person is there. Because they always go, ah, oh, the Irish, but the Irish are not. So like, you know, you know, Belfast is completely different to Cork. Cork's different to even Waterford. Do you know what I mean? That close. So it's just... You're constantly going. So what happens is, you know, I got, uh, so I, yeah, I was, I was asking people, I was going like, am I depressed? Like what's going on? And like, I feel, and they're going, no, you're not. You know, you're. Because how did you feel? I was just felt exhausted. So it's like, it's um, uh, mental fatigue is what my therapist said. You know what I mean? So that's what she said. That's all you have. You know what I mean? You, like I spoke to a neuroscientist. Uh, he was amazing. Paul Moore, he's on the podcast. He's a great, it's a great listen actually on the Mind Joe podcast because he said that clinical depression is completely different to, you know, just being run down. They're two di- completely different things. So I didn't have that. Do you know what I mean? I was just wrecked. You know what I mean? I just needed to look after myself a bit more with more exercise and, and the meditation and the diet and all. So I just started to ease off, you know, and put the foot in the brake a bit and then start to look after myself. You know, they always say, you know, just to be more selfish. And do you have a plan? I've always wanted to ask you when you go out on stage or do you mm. just go with the flow? No. I've definitely been at gigs where like you've just started talking to two people in the front and then it just becomes about them and you're like sweating mm. getting off the stage. How did you need more exercise? Well, oh, well, yeah, well, well, that's what, yeah, John Bishop, because he's a great mate of mine, he'll often give out to me and go, why don't you just sit in a stool and just tell your stories? Why do you put some of yourself under so much pressure? Because I, I do a gig that I'd like to see. Do you know what I mean? I've often gone to comics and went, there's no effort going into that. Will you come on and do a bit more? So what I do is I have all my pre-written material, which would be the whole show. Do you know what I mean? If I didn't have to, I don't have to talk to the audience. I can go through all the pre-written stuff. But then my brain, what I do is... And it's something else, you know, that is great in life that I've learned through different therapy. It's let just let go. And I, when I let go on stage, my brain takes over and it goes, no, I'm going to talk to this fellow over here now. And then I just talk to someone and I come up with this. Um, um, all I need is a little few bits of information and I can just start writing this whole new bit of material in my head straight right, right in front of everybody. And then, but at the same time, at the other thing, all the pre-written stuff is waiting to be used as well. So now I'm trying to weave improv in with the pre-written stuff and that's the actual show. So that's what you're seeing. But what what a pace, you know, for not only that to be happening on stage Hmm. for your brain, but then you're packing your bag and you're on to the next place and the next place and the next place and the next place. And then you're handling the juggling of marital breakdown, your kids getting older, your dad getting sick. So no wonder you reached a point where it was no more for, for a little while or was it forced by the pandemic, the break? Well, I, it was it was both things because it was before the pandemic that I thought, no, I have to slow down and I have to start because I used to always run a lot. That used to be my thing. Do you know what I mean? Because every and I, I love like it's got like everybody. You just you just find your own exercise. That's what you do. Do you know what I mean? No matter what it is, yeah, moving your body, run and anything. Yeah, I don't think we talk about that enough. I think people are get really 
am I supposed to be in CrossFit? Am I supposed to be weightlifting? Am I supposed to be running? And should I be running the marathon? And they forget mm. that if you just stick the runners on and go for a 15 minute walk, start mm. there, just get out, whatever it is, or dance, turn up the radio, whatever yeah, it, it is. It doesn't matter how long you do it for, as long as you do something. And and, and it's also, it's not to give yourself such a hard time because I, I, re- I can't even remember where the hell I read. I've read so many different bits but um, we give ourselves such a hard time, like, you know, going, I, like, I have to go to the yoga. I have to lose the weight. I have to do the running. I have to do the, like, and what you're doing there, a lot. what I read was that you are basically painting over, let's say, a rusty beam with all these things. And the rust is still underneath. Mm. So all it does is it just forces way back through again. Yeah. So I found, I got a great trick. And actually on the Mind Joe Festival, John Kavanagh is in, the coach Kavanagh. And he said, he said, um, you know, the, the whole dieting thing is just too much, too much pressure on everybody. And he's like, he's like, you know, he's a... Conor McGregor's coach. He's Conor McGregor's coach, but he's also a coach to hundreds of other people. And he said that you should just do, uh, do it every 24 hours. That's the easiest way to deal with it. So basically, you get up in the morning and go, right, I'm not going to eat any chocolate or have any wine today. That's grand. And then the next day you go, I might actually have loads of chocolate and loads of wine. You just keep doing it that way. But what you'll find is that if you do it that day, then you know you don't have to yeah. go all the way along. Like Alan Watts, this other guy I was talking to earlier outside about Alan Watts. He's a great fella. He says, he was saying that whenever we try and set ourselves goals, like I'm going to give up drink for a year. And he is, again, he's talking in the 50s. He goes, oh, the devil loves that, he says. The devil loves that. The devil sits on your shoulder and goes, what are you going to do? You go, I'm going to give up drink for a year. Oh, brilliant, because you're never going to do that. Excellent. Keep that plan. So the other, the plan is just to do it day by day with everything. Exercise, you know, your food, diets, everything. And then you'll find that you'll just get into a routine. Yeah. That's what I do. I don't put myself under loads of pressure. But you, you know? I, I always say, don't start because you hate yourself. Start because you love yourself. You know, not yeah. starting with that. I want to change this and I want to do this. It's just too negative. But you were running and then we were running out of steam to run. Is that what happened? No, well, well, no, but, but this, I was exercising. Uh, I was, I was running like uh, for the wrong reasons. Do you know what I mean? I was running because I thought I should be running because I was on stage and I should be fit. So I was exhausted running. Do you know what I mean? I wasn't, I wasn't running with my head. Do you know what I mean? I was running with my feet instead. So my head, as I'm running, my brain's going, oh my God, this is, oh, I'm so tired. I'm so not, oh my God. Instead of enjoying it. So now I just get my runners and I put them on. I love it. Do you know what I mean? I go out and, um, and just run for like whatever it takes. Five kilometers, one kilometer, one mile, nothing. Sometimes I put. Sometimes I go to Port Marnock and put my runners on, get to the beach, take them off, and stand to see. Mm. Don't even don't even run, but I still feel good. You know what I mean? It's about feeling good, and it's about not listening to you know Anto from the flats or whoever else your mate is, who's going. Do you know what I do? And then that's it. Just oh my god, you know what I do? I don't want to know what you do. You just you just do your own thing. Yeah, check in and find out what suits you. Yeah, and uh, again, Paul Murray was the 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 neuroscience from Trinity. He said. I said, okay, at the end of the podcast, I said, what's, what's the things, I, you know, what's the, the tips? He says, uh, try not to eat processed food and try to move as much as you can. And meditate is the number one thing he said. And, and he says, out of those three things, if you can only do one, is meditation, which is so hard to get into Irish people's heads. Even mine, when I started doing it. Like people, like, do you know when people say to you, okay, now clear your mind. That's it's all over for me then. That's like a floodgate. Like it opens up and it just I fills because my my mind is so animated, so it which I found was brilliant. There's loads of guided meditation online, and it can be like just put in YouTube and put in guided meditation, and you'll hear people just talking you through every second of it. It's just being still, isn't it, and just taking 
a minute and we don't really do that because we celebrate busyness and we celebrate being on the move and even as Irish people we love just moving things from one place to the other and saying now we love a bit of that yeah and we're always living in the future and what benefits have you seen so when you hit that sort of rock bottom if you want to where you had burnout yeah firstly where did you reach for help first therapy you did okay mm. and were you comfortable with that because I wonder are the no, Irish I didn't public know what comfortable it was. with therapy I didn't know what it was I thought there and again literally I've heard other lads talk about this and this is the one thing I definitely talk about was I thought I'd come out as like I wouldn't be any crack anymore do you know what I mean I thought they'd like take away my superpower of being funny like you know like Superman with Kryptonite I thought that's what therapy would be and I went in to my therapist and I sat down and I was going um, you know so I said so what like what do you do like what happens like because you've seen on the telly you know on the couch and everything and she just went well you're already doing it like, you're just talking that's all we're just talking and so I, so it was great to have. Do you know what's brilliant? Um, because it's not your partner, it's not a family member, and all. It's it's a, and it's also a professional that's dealing with you. And that therapist has different people coming in all the time, and, and also knows how to deal with each different personality. And so she really spotted what I, how I communicated. Do you know what I mean? Which was with kind of laughter and fun. That's how she did it with me. And I felt so brilliant. And she made she and she would give me little nuggets every time I finished the the you know the session. She'd just go right, okay. So this is what you're to, you're to do today, or this is how you think today. And like so, I and one one of the tips I remember her saying to me was she's she goes, I bet you think you're coming here, and I'm going to solve all your problems. And I went, yeah, is that not what it is? Because I thought therapy was, you go in, you tell her this happened, this is going on, I don't know what's going on, don't, and they and, tell you what to do, and they yeah, don't. They don't. It's the opposite. You know what I mean? I'm going, what do you mean I have to look at? What do you mean I have to do it? <laughs> she goes, and she was like, she used certain language because she knows, because I, you know, I swear or whatever, not on radio. But anyway, and she was going, I, she goes, I'm not going to fix your problems. And it was so funny the way she was just, because she was like this kind of motherly figure to me. I was going, what do you mean? She goes, I'm going to teach you how to sit with your problems and just accept them and work out how to manage them all. You know what I mean? Because they don't go away. You know, your problems don't go away. They, 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 well, some do, but the majority of them just sit around you. So it's how you manage them instead of going, uh, so when you see a problem, you don't lose the plot. That's, the, that's what you need to do. And so the therapy, and, the, and again, they're professionals, you need to go to them because, again, Antro from the Flats is not going to help you. You need the therapist that's got this m massive amount of experience. And uh, yeah, they must fall into different categories, like a kind of like a, a bigger sister, a, a bigger brother. But mine fell into into a kind of a motherly uh, uh, kind of, uh, you know, role. So that was great with me because then I was really listening to her, you know. Yeah. Well, you're listening to an Ivan Kicking on News Talk with Claire McKenna. And I'm talking to Jason Byrne about his upcoming festival. Same name as his podcast, Mind Your Loaf. I'll have to take a break. Will you stay with us, Jason? Yep. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. You're welcome back to Alive and Kicking on News Talk with Claire McKenna and I'm joined in studio by Jason Byrne to talk about minding your loaf. And before the break, we were talking about therapy and the benefits mm. that you began to feel. So how did it change? Because as you said, none of your problems were taken away. You just learned how to manage it and you were afraid it was going to take your funny yeah. away. Because you kind of said something there that made me think, was you being funny a defence mechanism in a way or a mask in a way? Oh, it can be, yeah. I mean, like you know, I was always like that when I was younger. Do you know what I mean? I was, like, but I was, but I was, I was, I had a really happy childhood, though. I had a great childhood, so I was being genuinely happy. I wasn't covering up anything. So I used to, um, but in the class clown level, I was probably about eighth in line. 
I was way off. Do you know what I mean? Really? Ah, yeah. There was whopper lads in there, way funnier than me. They still meet me now and they go, you're still not funny, Jason. <laughs> right? And then they start whacking out all these jokes. You know what and I mean? And what are they, like accountants now and you're the comedian? Yeah, they're accountants and investors <laughs> and all sorts and they're minted and they're like going, ah, Joe! And so I was very happy like that, yeah. And But no, uh, stand-up is my job. Do you know what I mean? And all the different things that happened to me, like, like friends that passed away and everything. I've had to do gigs that night. Do you know what I mean? But I don't. I did, but as you say, it was a form of kind of therapy because I was going on stage, and you, I did get to kind of expel the energy I needed. Like you know, instead of going out and punching a wall or something, I I went out and I just released it all on stage. You know, and and that that felt good. But then, of course, what was happening then was, you know, the the gig and was it was it just it's very hard. Like you know, Frankie Boyle was talking to Louis Theroux on a podcast, and Frankie doesn't do stand up anymore. And Louis went, "Why?" And he goes, "Because it nearly killed me." And like people don't understand, they go, well, "How's nearly kill you?" Because you've got to do a two-hour show and really like you know go for it. You know what I mean? And even if you're standing like a deadpan, like like Jack D or somebody, Jack D is still expelling the same energy as me. You know what I mean? It's just because he's not jumping around as much or whatever. He's still, you know, really, you know, he's going through a lot of you know high stress doing doing the show. And another, oh my God! So Lee Evans, you know Lee, who used to go jump around a lot who is probably the nicest man in the world, if I had to really think of who. He's such a beautiful man. The first time I ever met him, we were doing an arena gig for charity, and he, I was going to go up to him and shake his hand, and he grabbed my hand, and he went, oh, Jason Byrne, he goes, I love you, my kids love you, can I get a picture, can you sign this? And he had my DVDs in his dressing room. And I was going, this is unbelievable, Lee Evans. So Lee was, became great friends, and Lee gave up stand-up, because he just physically couldn't do it anymore. He just went, I can't do it anymore, it's too much. Wow, hard. and now you see the big names now doing arenas. Yeah. As a way, I suppose, to earn bigger money in a shorter space of time so you don't get that burnout, perhaps. Yeah, but look, listen, at the same time, I mean, I I miss stand-up now, mm. do you know what I mean? Because I can't do it because of the what's happened. And I also, you know, I, you know, because a friend, a friend of mine had told me not to give up stand-up and, like, you know, to basically mix it in with the mental health he says because what you do as stand-up is therapy for people when they go to see you because they they get a ch- they get to forget about their lives do you know what I mean so don't you know don't feel what you're doing is not doing any good and I remember two little old women waiting for me in Edinburgh it was that was so Scottish it was raining and they were both under an umbrella and I just played to like a thousand people who had all gone and there were just the two of them and I was going oh my god I says you on your own down there like, like I, you know I, they should have told someone I, they were there I would have went straight down and they're like, no, no, we didn't want to disturb you. No, it's okay. Um, and they're in their 70s, I'd say. And one goes, um, you know, this is Maggie. And we just want to say thank you so much for the show. It was just such a release. And I went, right. She goes, Maggie's husband died uh, seven months ago and she hasn't been out of the house. And this is the first time she came out. It's the first time she laughed. And as she said that, the two of them just started crying. And then I started welling up and I was going, oh my God. And they went, listen, what you do is just fantastic, Jason. Just don't ever stop doing it. And I, you don't know who's in that room, you see, watching you. And that's one of your pillars, isn't it? That you you advise people, breathe properly, move your body mm. and laugh. And it is mm. so true. Um, and you and I were both talking about losing our dads in yeah. recent years and grief. And it is possible to be sad and happy at the same time. You're allowed to laugh. And God, I had some of the biggest belly laughs with my family around the time of my dad. I mean, even his body arriving back to the house and my sister said he looks like he's from the mafia and we all <laughs> collapse with laughter. I mean, it really is such 
good medicine for the soul. And Irish people are brilliant at that. Do you know what I mean? That's what we do. That's kind of how we mourn, we laugh. And laughter is brilliant because when you, at the moment you're laughing, you're, you're, you're forgetting about the situation that you're in. Like, um, uh, Dr. Victor Franklin, I think that's how you pronounce his name, it was a Man's Search for Meaning was the mm. book, which is where he was in a concentration camp. But he said they use humour to survive. Like, they're sitting in bunks, he said, and they're, they're like, people are dying and they're half dying, but they were like slagging off each other. Like having a laugh, but yeah. Underneath the so the Nazis wouldn't the guards wouldn't hear them. Like and so laughter is, is does help so much, you know. So we, my dad, oh my god, we couldn't stop laughing at his funeral. Do you know what I mean? Because like I went up and did the eulogy, and the first thing I said was, "It's great to see my dad finally in a church," <laughs> <laughs> and all his mates just started laughing. And so and then lovely stories from the from different all my uncles and my aunties who aren't my uncles and aunties. They were in the pub. They were just like friends of my mum and dad's. It just became my uncles and all. And a lovely story about my dad. He used to go to, um, he said, you're talking about your dad. He says, we used to go to the rugby, but your dad didn't like flying. So whenever we went on the ferry, your dad would get a keg of Guinness because my dad worked in Guinness. He'd get a keg, a small keg of Guinness. He'd take the gas and the tap from there, put it in the boot, and they drove to Wales. And as they were driving to the match, my dad said, we better get out and test that Guinness. It might be gone off, right, which is rubbish. Mm -hmm. This was in the 80s now. <laughs> and they get off the side of a dual carriageway in Wales. And they said, my dad got the whole keg, tapped it, opened it up, and there three of them are sitting there drinking the Guinness in the sun with the sleeves rolled up and then the Welsh police pulled up and they said, what are you doing, Paddy? Because he always called all the Irish Paddies the minute they heard your voice, just called you Paddies. Um, my dad says, oh, we just had to test the Guinness because it, it might gone off. And then one of the Welsh cops said to my dad, is that Guinness from Dublin? They went, yeah. He says, can we taste it? So cut to three, three of my dad's friends and two Welsh cops sitting on the side of a dual carriageway in Wales with their all sleeves rolled up having Guinness. At the dual carriageway. Yeah, on the grass. And then what? Everyone got back into the cars and said, "Please." Yeah. This is in the eighties. This is this is the this is just how this is my dad all the time. He was always around stuff like that. So we just always crying, laughing, you know. And one of the the hashtags I'm going to use on the day for the mind your loaf is that you know we're, we you know we'll hear mental health a lot and we go and we kind of, you know when we hear things too much, mm. especially Irish, mm. we go, "Oh no, another mental health thing." So. My dad, I remember saying to him about mental health. So what do you think of that? And my dad went, mental health? He says, sure, it's healthy to be mental, yeah. is what he said. And so we're using the hashtag of healthy, healthy mental is what we're going to use the hashtag for. Because you're right, I had Professor Jim Lucy on and he's been a psychiatrist for 30 years, working in St. Vincent's, working wow. in St. Pat's. Yeah. And he says we need to stop talking about it like it's something that floats out <laughs> on the ether because it's it's just overall health. Yeah. And I thought he was going to have all different kinds of advice mm. to give out. And obviously he does. But what he was really talking about was getting your sleep, staying connected, yeah. eating well, you know, moving your body. And people don't really realise that it's, it's quite simple. When you start talking about mental health, everyone's like, what, what am I supposed to do? And do I have to meditate? And do I have to yeah, go up again, on a hill with a monk? Too and much what do pressure. I have to do? Yeah, it's, it's too much. And people said to me, like, because um, we were talking about going... Um, you know, it's good. So, I don't know who was journalist or something saying, you know, it's good for men to get men talking now because they're not really talking those way women do. But loads of men don't want to talk. <laughs> they're quite happy just sitting in the corner, be left alone for an hour. And then you know, it's like when the girl says, what are you thinking? And like, they're like, nothing. <laughs> I, used to, I used to use that in my stand-up where my wife would go, what do you think? And i go, a white wall. She goes, what do you mean white wall? Well, there's a white wall in front of me. So my dad was the same. If he had a little bit of stress, he just lit the fag, he went out into the shed, he'd be gone for an hour listening to radio, come back in, he's all in a good mood again. So they don't all need it. They don't, not everybody needs to talk. A lot of people like to just sit in themselves and then just solve it out in their own head. They're quite happy doing that. 
So you're looking forward to getting back to gigging, as you yeah. say. Uh, geez, we're all looking forward to that. Um, but have you got the perfect mix now, do you think? Having the podcast yeah. and learning more about the head and minding ourselves and all that and having the, the stand-up. Yes, yeah, so the approach I'm going on to is I'm going to enjoy the show that I'm sitting in at that moment. Do you know what I mean? As opposed to worrying about getting to the next show. Because I always used to do that in the future thing, you know. So, you know, um, I remember my accountant saying, uh, this means to get like a pension together. And because of all the stuff I've been through and I've learned and everything, I was going, what do I need that for? <laughs> he went, he went, because he's an accountant. He doesn't, he's really not in touch with any of this other stuff. He's going, because when you retired, I went, but what if I'm not alive? And he literally went, what do you mean, Marvin? Of course you will be. I went, what do you mean, of course I'll be alive? How do you know I'm going to be alive? And he went, well, you will. I says, do you have a pension? He goes, yes, I will. And I said to him, how do you know you'll be alive? And he went, will you shut up? What are you talking? <laughs> of course I'll be alive. So it's, it's, this, it's this thing that we do that we, we keep on trying to gather up all the, this wealth and money for the future. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And we're always pushing everything ahead of us, ourselves. Instead of just going and now living in the now is literally monk carry on. That's very hard. You know what I mean? Like to literally get up and go. So what I've been doing and I have learned it, but I've it's taken me ages. Is I get up and I just deal what's going on in that day. Do you know what I mean? And I try it. And li- so I was literally driving up to you here, just listening to actually listening to Pat Dively, uh, who's one of our guests. Just listen to him, not really worrying about the interview with you. Do you know what I mean? Just listen yeah. to Pat and just getting that in, and going, oh, that's good, that's good. And then I got out of the car and went, all right, I'll go talk to Claire now. So trying to do it that way, step by step. But in babe, it's all baby steps. Yeah, and it's small incremental changes. And Pat is one of your guests. So tell us a little mm. bit about this festival. It's on July 3rd and it's all online. Yeah, so we can't go into venues with it yet. And it's from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m., but it's going to be staying up for the whole month. You know, because the minute I put up that, people went, oh, you know, I'm not going to be there. I'm not in. What are you talking about? 10 to 1. Oh, I've got GA train or whatever. I'm or running. to sit in someone else's garden. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they can watch it for, you know, the whole time. And it's it's only 25 quid for the ticket, right? And the, and the, I'm trying to make it as cheap as I can because i got to, you know, pay the keynote speakers. Uh, the studio, it's going to be done in a proper TV studio and we're going to do it live and we're going to have interviews in the studio and also people... Uh, you know, online that you know that are waiting to come in and do their their chats. So the likes of Pat Dively, he's a life coach. He's going to be doing his own thing. You know, for half an hour, thirty five minutes. Um, we also have uh, Sarah Knight. Do you know Sarah Knight? She, she she's like calm the f down books yeah. and all them. Yeah. She's coming on to teach us how to say no. And as Irish people, that's a that's a whopper one. Because yeah. she, she's American and she goes, oh, and have you been to Ireland? She goes, no, I've never been. I went, this is the land of yeses. <laughs> she goes, what are you talking about? Yeah. Grand. And she goes, she goes, okay, Jason, for example, if you say, uh, somebody asks you to go to a christening, um, what do you do? We go, just say, yeah. And then we cancel the day before. <laughs> we say we're not well. <laughs> I, I still go. There I am up at the font and all. <laughs> Pouring like, water over the baby's head. Yeah, yeah. I said, I said, I said to Sarah, I said, we've got friends like over 25 years. We're just too afraid to tell them to go away. We don't even want them around us. So she's going she's gonna to teach us that. And it says Coach Kavanagh we have on as well. Uh, and then in the studio, we're going to have uh, Claire Walsh, who's a free diver. Mm, Amazing. She's, so fascinating. She's all about the breeding. And she actually suffers from long COVID. So she's going to be telling us how she's going to get through that. And then we have Bernard O'Shea, comedian, coming in as well. Put a bit of light on the on, on Greek philosophy. It's unbelievable. He is. He's got like a degree in social studies. He's incredibly intelligent. Um, and we have Louise Carroll, who's the bass player from the Blizzards, and she's a psychologist. A psychologist, amazing woman. 
And we'll have Philly McMahon, who's from the dubs, you know, Philly, and he's going to talk about addiction because he went through a lot of stuff like that with his brother and all. And 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 as I said, yeah, and we've got, and there's even more than that. And then Sinead Quillen's my co-host, of course. Amazing. Well, sounds like something right at my street for sure. People can find out more at mindyourloaf.com. Jason, seems like your loaf is in good stead. You look good. You know what you're doing. I think I'm okay now, yeah. The bike is now steady and I'm fine. And I'm uh, going to go for a run today. But tomorrow, I'm probably going to stay curly whirlies up my hoop and watch the telly. Good for you, Jason Byrne. Thank you very much. So that's it for Alive and Kicking for this week. My thanks to my producer, John Fardy, and to Jojo Cordoza, who was on sound. And thanks to you, as ever, for listening. I will see you next week.